You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hello, hello, hello. We're back with another episode for your ears, but before we get too far into it, I need to tell you about the Florida Panhandle Giving Cable by Sinusoid. They are making a special white Van Dam cable, and the, all the proceeds from the sale of this cable will be going to help people displaced by Hurricane Michael in the Florida Panhandle. It was a really awful event. It, it devastated a lot of people's lives, and they're doing uh, what they can to help those people out. So if you go to sinusoid.com, the correct link will be in the show notes. You will, you will see the Florida Panhandle giving cable. It's only available for one more day. So I talked about it last week. I'm talking about it again this week, uh, November 6th. As this podcast is uh, dropping on November 5th, November 6th is the last day that you will be able to purchase that. So make sure and hit that link, check it out, get yourself an awesome cable, and help support some people who need it. Of course, we are also brought to you by Gun Street Wiring Shop. Gun Street Wiring Shop out of Bend, Oregon. I know. I love Oregon. I'm a big fan. I know I live here, and I'm a little bit biased, but I love Bend. And I love Gun Street Wiring Shop. Sean is an excellent guy making excellent products. I mean, just go check out their Instagram. You'll see the attention to detail is insane. Got great step-by-step instructions and great customer support should you run into any trouble when you're trying to upgrade your guitar's wiring harness. And if you don't see what you need on the site, contact them. Sean can make the harness of your dreams come true, and it will be awesome, and your guitar will be sounding and functioning better than ever. So make sure to go to Gun Street Wiring Shop com and check them out today. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the ToneMob.com podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host Blake Wyland and with me today I have Joe Balliger of Balliger Guitars. How's it going? Doing well, man. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's a it's a real pleasure. I've uh, been scoping your stuff out for a while, and uh, when we ran into each other at Fear the Riff, it was like, yeah, we got to make this happen. It just makes sense. Yeah, man. No, I'm I'm glad to be on, and uh, it was great meeting you at the show. And yeah, I'm stoked to get into it. For sure, for sure. Well, we can jump right in. Um, I, I I know you've got you've got a, a longer backstory and um than than what maybe a lot of people realize. So I think that would be a good place to start. We'll just start like what's your musical backstory? You know, what did you start listening to? What did that how did that translate into where you are today? Sure. Um well I started playing guitar about sixteen years ago at this point. Um I'm thirty two now, so I was in high school. I uh, started just learning Metallica songs and Megadeth and all the old school thrash metal, <laughs> essentially, out of uh, tab books. Um, and that is what really fueled <clears throat> my passion for playing the guitar. Um, so I probably spent a good three or four years just woodshedding, learning you know, every single song from Injustice for All and Ride the Lightning and uh, you know, Rust in Peace and all of those great, you know, classic metal albums. Um, and then, you know, I got into heavier music like hardcore and doom metal and 
you know, I, I've kind of always been focused on heavier styles of music. It wasn't until you know, my early 20s uh, did I start getting into jazz, jazz fusion and other, you know, genres besides metal. <laughs> um, so that's kind of where it started. Uh, you know, I just am self-taught. Um, and, uh, you know, just the fact that I was always a, a broke you know, musician or a broke college student, depending on my time of life. Um, I would just work on my own guitars. Uh, and that's kind of what led me into, into Luthery and then eventually going to Luthery school. But yeah, my, my general music history is just, um, you know, growing up listening to classic rock and then metal and, uh, picking up the guitar in high school just because of other, you know, people playing and, uh a buddy letting me borrow his guitar and it just you know going from there nice so what what luthery school did you go to i i hear that referenced a lot and then i usually fail to ask that question because i don't know any of the luthery schools sure yeah there's there's like a handful of them in the united states but uh the one that i went to it's called the guitar craft academy it's part of the musicians institute uh which is a college in california um, and the Luthery part of the school is actually separate from the main campus. Um, it's not too far away. I think it's probably like seven miles away from the main campus, but yeah, I went there. It was a six month program, um, six days a week. The sixth day is optional, but I went to every Saturday. They, they had the workshop open, uh, and the, the classes were around five and a half to six hours a day. Um, so I graduated that school in 2009. So I'm coming up on almost 10 years of working on guitars at this point, but uh, yeah, it was a great experience. And, you know, being a Pennsylvania native, it was definitely a, a culture shock for me to live in uh, Los Angeles for a handful of years. <laughs> I'm sure it was. It's a culture shock for me and I live on the West coast. So it's, oh, for uh, sure. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like its own entity, I think. LA is right. Cause you're in Oregon, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I would love to, to go to Portland sometime. I've never been, but I could only imagine Los Angeles is its own. <laughs> I feel like its own thing. You either love it or you hate it. I think so. I don't, it's, it's not a, it's a hard city to be lukewarm on. Yeah. I'm yeah. A... There's no middle ground. You either, you either like it or you don't. I feel <laughs> Um, yeah, well, if you ever do make it to Portland, you know, look, look me up. I can show you, I can show you where to eat. That's my man. specialty. <laughs> well, I'm definitely down for that for sure. <laughs> so did you start, you, you didn't start just building your own guitars right away. I'm assuming you probably did some sort of, um, you probably worked for somebody else for a while or, or how did that work out when you got out of the program? Yeah, so unfortunately, I graduated at the height of the recession in 2009. Um, so the only job opportunities that were open to me at the time were um, working for larger manufacturers in the general Los Angeles County area, you know, making $10 an hour, setting up 50 guitars a day. And I had some interviews at said companies. I'm not going to name who they were, but it just seemed like a very backwards thing to do because at that point I felt like I was very proficient at setups and I wanted to kind of hone my craft and 
and push myself further. And I felt like setting up that many guitars a day wasn't really where I wanted to go with it. Um, I wanted to actually, you know, get my feet wet with building more guitars than I did in the program and, you know, just learning um, as I go. So I actually didn't uh, get a job right out of school. I ended up moving back to Pennsylvania for a year or two before I moved back out to California for another like four or five years. Um, and during that time, I just did a lot of repair work, uh, just through word of mouth, whether it was a friend or a friend of a friend. Um, and I did that for quite some time. Even when I moved back out to California, that was mainly what I did was repair and restoration work, uh, on vintage guitars and, you know, just newer guitars too, like pickup swaps, fret work, um, what have you. But when I actually moved back out to California, um, I was kind of juggling doing that stuff part-time, but also uh, playing music and doing session work because I was still very passionate about playing music and, and being like a, a career guitar player. Um, so I was endorsed by a few other companies before I started my own company and I was doing session work in LA and product demos for, uh, guitar and amp companies. Um, and you probably still find some online, but, uh, yeah, so that, that's kind of what I did for, I would say two and a half, three years until I finally, you know, had the spark of doing something further, you know, in the Luthery world instead of just, uh, doing repair work. Um, so it's kind of a unorthodox, uh, unique path that I've taken, but it was, um, it wasn't until like 2014 ish, um, to where I really started like delving into, you know, putting a couple designs together and, and building a few guitars for people that, uh, you know, that I really kind of jumped headfirst into it. Did you know, like, was there a, like a defining moment where you were like, I think this is the, this is the way forward or did it just kind of naturally happen? Well, um, when I went to Luthery school, that whole path for me was, was a very natural organic thing. Like I wasn't, um, it wasn't like I was sick of a job like that I was doing out of college or high school or something. And it was like a, a switch was flipped, like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go to school to build guitars. It was kind of just, you know, I was working on my guitars for so long that I just had a natural passion for it. So I ended up um, researching Luthery schools over the, you know, the few years that I was saving up money. And um, outside of Luthery school, after I graduated, uh, I still had that passion, but I was still kind of like, you know, not to sound cliche, but trying to like find my way because I was still, you know, 23, like in my early 20s. So I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and it wasn't until I randomly met Bo Burchell from the band Seosin uh, through a very random uh, Craigslist ad where I was, I think I was trading a guitar or trading an amp and he was trading a guitar or amp or something like that where we emailed each other and then I saw his name in the email and uh, I tried not to be a fanboy, but I kind of let some of that out. And I was like, dude, what <laughs> I, yeah, I recognize your name. Like, you know, 
do you play in Seosa? And if so, I've been listening to your band for X amount of years. Um, you know, I'm a luthier. Uh, I'm just building a few guitars here and there for people that I know. It would be awesome if, if I could build a guitar for you, like, you know, pro bono, like, you know, just something I'd want to do for him as someone I look up to as a musician. And um, he was nice enough to entertain that. And I ended up building him uh, what I call the Thicket BB, which is now his signature model. But um, it was like a Tele style guitar with an Evertune bridge, bare knuckle pickups, really standard, you know, ash body, maple neck, maple fingerboard. Um, and he ended up really digging the guitar and I went over to his studio. He was showing me all of his vintage guitars and we just became friends and it was kind of an organic relationship after that. And I think that's what really gave me the validation and kind of like lit a fire under my butt per se. (laughs) Um, and was kind of like, you know, here's the opportunity you should really take it and run with it. And that's kind of what I did. That's fantastic. That's that's really really cool. Thanks, man. And it and uh, I'm a fan of that band as well. And and so I can I can imagine <laughs> the 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 fanboyism is real. It's a oh it can for be a sure difficult thing to contain sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and just like after building the guitar for him, seeing that they started playing like a like a couple handful of shows. Um, when Anthony Green rejoined the band for the new newest album that they released a year or two ago, um, seeing them play in Los Angeles and like my now my wife, my fiance at the time, like going out to that show and seeing him play the guitar on the stage. And at that point, like I only had a few guitars under my belt that I built and he was playing one of them on stage. And it was just kind of like bizarre, like, it was such a humbling experience, but it was also terrifying because I was just like, holy crap, this is like, I just could never believe that that, that would have happened, you know, like meeting someone like that. And some people may not even know like who Seosin is or like, but in my little part of the world, like, you know, growing up listening to that band, it was just a really cool moment. Yeah, I mean, I can I can definitely relate. I, I've I've had sort of similar moments, although not as cool as like having somebody actually play an instrument that you made with your hands. But getting to meet some people here and there through doing this, it's like, whoa! I like you said, I've been listening to you for ten years. Like, <laughs> like your songs have got me through some stuff, man. You know, exactly. like things like that. Yeah, man. Um, and you know what I've what I've found is like. And I've only, you know, had this happen a couple of times, but generally those guys, they they're used to hearing that and they almost they almost like just being treated as the dude that they are. You know totally. what I mean? Totally. It's like because they are, you know, we put them on these these pedestals, but they're they really are just they're just like you and me. You know, they they just are. It's, I can. Yeah, I completely agree. Bo was the same way. Like, you know, my wife and I went to meet him and uh to hand off the guitar to him and he was just like such a down-to-earth dude because he is but like you know like you said you build it up in your head of uh you know this crazy musician he's on this pedestal and yeah i mean now he's like one of my good friends and it's just it's just weird it's it's you don't expect to 
have that happen. And, and when you do, I guess, you know, your expectations are set a certain way and then you realize, Oh, this dude's just, just a dude like me <laughs> just playing. Yeah, exactly. So, yep. And then you get, I mean, it was like, I've told the same story before, but you know, I've been a big gaslight Anthem fan for a long time. And recently I've got to hang out with Brian a couple times after we did the podcast in Boston. And, um, yeah, you know, my wife's like, she, she's standing there with, she's a big fan too. And she comes away and she's like, he's, they're just like you just nerding (laughs) out about stupid guitar things. Yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. Like what color is the, you know, and I'm like, yeah, it's almost like we're all musicians and kind of have a similar mindset. Yeah. And and she's like, she's like, I can't believe it. I'm like, there are thousands of us, honey. There are thousands (laughs) of us. It's really cool Um, though, man. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. Um, speaking of musical heroes and just, you know, heroes in general, you've got a signature guitar with Andy Williams from Every Time I Die, who I'm also a huge fan of. Awesome. Can yeah, we talk yeah. about that a little bit? Sure. Um, yeah, so I guess to start from the beginning, um, we endorsed this band, uh, The Word Alive, uh, Tony Pizzuti and, and Telly Smith, um, play our guitars and I think I think it was Warp Tour it must have been a festival something like that where every time I die I was playing with the word alive and Tony and Andy are friends so Tony let Andy play his growler which is like my J style model um, and Andy really dug it so he started following us on Instagram and one thing led to another we ended up DMing each other and talking back and forth um, about a model that I had released a few years ago that I discontinued, but it's my take on like a Guild S300. The body shape's slightly different, and I do a German carve around the, the shape itself. Um, but I discontinued it because it just, it's a very odd shape, and it, it didn't really catch on uh, as as best as I, as, as I, as I thought it would. Um, but I guess he like dug through, you know, the Instagram posts from years ago and he saw that and uh he just you know asked would you ever would you ever do that model again i was like oh yeah definitely man and we just talked back and forth about it for a few months and kind of nailed down his specs um and i was like well since we're going to be like custom voicing pickups for you why don't you just let me send you a guitar that i have here which is like it was one of the old stock enigmas i think and I sent that over to him and at the time he was endorsed by Fishman pickups and uh, I sent him a humbucker that we did. It was like one of our newer, um, like higher output humbuckers called the train bucker. And he fell in love with it and he dropped his Fishman deal and he's like, dude, let's, let's do a signature guitar together and we can do, you know, you, you know, my own pickups voiced after this pickup, but slightly different. And uh, one thing led to a next, and then I also designed a lipstick single coil uh, neck pickup for him as well. And then we just, it was like an organic thing, like same thing with Fluff and same thing with Bo, like our other artists, you know, whenever a signature model happens, it's always like an organic thing. It's never forced. It's just kind of like, well, you're already getting the specs you want. You know, if you think people will dig this, and most of the time I do think people dig what those guys spec out. Um, cause they have great taste, which is, which is awesome. Uh, 
you know, let's just make it something specific to you. So that's how it happened. Um, it was just a, an Instagram message essentially. Um, and he's been like such a sweetheart to work with. He's, you know, you look at him and you think he's this huge, uh, huge bear of a human, but he's, you know, <laughs> he's so nice and he's such a good dude. Um, and yeah, the, I guess the version two, like 2.0, if you want to call it of his enigma, um, is going to be coming out this fall, uh, within the next month or so. Um, cause the first iteration was just one humbucker and the seafoam green with a brown tort pick guard, uh, roasted maple neck, roasted maple fingerboard, black block inlays. Um, and the newest one is actually like a, a peach pink color with a white pick guard. Um, his new humbucker in the bridge that we, we call the gorilla bucker and, uh, the new lipstick single coil on the neck that we call the thunder lips. Um, thunder lips. Nice. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, um, it's got an ebony fingerboard, mother of pearl block inlays and just a, a few different appointments, but essentially we wanted to put the new signature pickups in there and put a blade switch in instead of a toggle and uh, one volume, no tone. So it's kind of uh, exactly what he wanted in a touring guitar. Um, so yeah, I'm super stoked on that. He's, he's one of the best dudes to know. He's a really good dude and he's a gearhead. So he'll text me about, you know, an amp that he just got or, you know, what I think about a certain Mesa amp, because we both are Mesa boogie heads. Uh, I have a couple Mesas and he has like a crap ton of amps. So it's just, we always get into these <laughs> discussions about amps. So it's, it's been cool, man. He's, he's a really good dude. That's, that's been fantastic. I think, uh, yeah, they're one of my favorite, uh, bands from that genre. Well, just in general, I've liked that band for a really long time. We got to get them on, uh, on this podcast. I would love to talk to Andy. Would love to. He's got they've wrote one of my favorite riffs ever. Um it's at the end of uh their, their song El Dorado. Okay. And I could just jam that. It 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 plays for a really long time at like the end of the song. Yep, I, I know exactly what riff you're talking about. Repeat. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. It it's is. such a catchy awesome. Oh man, it's such a good riff. I mean, even people who don't really like that style of music, I'm like, no, 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 just check this riff out. And yeah, it's like, a okay, riff anyone can I appreciate. It. I feel if they're a guitar player, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so good. Yeah, I don't. I wonder if Andy wrote that. That could be. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. That's a good question. I could ask. <laughs> but yeah, I would love to have him on. Gutter Phenomenon is uh, like one of my like growing up defining albums. Oh. I just, same here man jam that on repeat man yep so good um let's see so you just mentioned you were a mesa boogie nerd can we expound on that a little bit oh yeah for sure yeah don't even open that box with me because i'll talk i'll talk hours and hours about about amps but yeah no i uh that was actually one of the companies that i did some product demos for before i started my company my guitar company um so when i was living out in la they flew me up to petaluma and I did some videos on their pedals uh, and did some amp videos too, which they're on their Mesa Boogie YouTube channel from like, I think a few years ago. My head's not in it. They chopped off my head, but my, my playing is in it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I feel like I've owned Mesa's forever. I'm trying to think of like 
the first year I got a Mason. I honestly can't remember. It's been that long, but I ended up meeting Tim, uh, who's the artist relations rep from Mesa at the NAM show. Um, this was, oh man, let me think about this. 2012, 2013, something like that. Maybe a little later. I don't know. It all, it's all fuzzy in my head now, but, um, and we ended up hitting it off and kept in touch after the product demos, even when I moved back to Pennsylvania. Um, and yeah, I, you know, we have a bunch of Mesa gear in our showroom at our shop. Uh, we have a JP2C head. Uh, we have a triple crown head. We have some Mesa cabs. We have a, a Mesa base rig there. Um, and almost every year that we're at NAM, we, we always have Mesas in our booth just they're just a great company, man. Like I, if you ever get a chance, since you are on the West Coast, to uh, tour their Petaluma factory, you definitely should, um, because they're they're just all great people there. Like, and it's it's still a really small company, even though you think Mesa, you think oh they're one of the biggest amp companies in the world, which they are, uh, but the actual production facility and like the amount of people that work there, it's, it's still a rather small, uh, factory. Um, so it's just cool to, to experience like a company like that, that's still thriving and still doing really cool stuff. Um, and meeting people there that have been there for 15, 20 years who love what they're doing. And I just think that's, that really shows like how well the VPs and the, the higher ups and like Randy, the owner, like, how they treat their employees. It's just a really cool, uh, cool thing. So that kind of trickles over to my love for the amps even more. Um, and I love other amps too, like bad cat and orange and stuff, but Mesa kind of has like a sweet spot for me. That's interesting. I, um, I, I kind of find that almost across the board. It doesn't seem to matter which company we're talking about in this, in this industry. Like when you actually get to the, to most facilities, it's like, this is not as big as I thought it would be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I guess unless you're, unless you're talking about Fender or, you know, some of the really huge corporation style companies. Yeah, I agree. Um, I haven't seen too many amp facilities, so maybe that's just my naivety, but, um, yeah, just the, the Mesa, you know, place in general, it's just, if you can ever get a chance to go over there, it's, it's worth it for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd I would really like to check it out. I've never never been, but um it would be fun for sure. Yeah. You have a uh oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say and and obviously their amps sound really good in my opinion. So I everything they've they've released I've dug. I don't think there's ever been an amp that I'm kinda like, eh. They they always seem to kinda do something really cool, whether it's like just a variation of another amp, whether it's the Mark three, Mark four, Mark five, whatever the JP two C. Um, I always find something that I really dig about their amps. Uh, cause some amps amp companies rather, they may be really good at like making a high gain amp, but then the clean channel suffers cause of the preamp stages and stuff. Um, or like there's a really great amp company that does really great, you know, clean circuits, but, if you need a high gain tone, you're going to have to use, you know, a modeler into it or, you know, a distortion pedal or overdrive pedal or something. I just think they're one of those companies that really do both well. 
So not to hype their, their amps too much, but I, I just, re- <laughs> I just really dig them. So, uh, you know, I think that's one thing that always brings me back to them is you can kind of get any tone you want out of them. What, um, what is your favorite Mesa model? I would probably say the JP2C. Um, I am a John Petrucci fan, a Dream Theater fan, but I'm not like, oh, I own every album. I know every song by them. Like, I appreciate them. And uh, I know a few songs by them. And, you know, I don't own the amp because of John Petrucci, but I own it because it just has so much on tap. Um, I think if the one thing that I would change is I would almost simplify it just because the circuit just sounds so good. Um, there's like a few switches that I leave on and a few things that I leave where it's at. And if I could just have that as like a single channel amp with like a dedicated clean channel, then that would be like the best amp in my opinion. But I just think that's one of their most versatile amps. So whether you play praise and worship or indie or rock or metal or death metal, like it doesn't matter that amp's going to be able to deliver whatever tone you want out of it. So I think that's quite rare in the, the tube amp world you know, without delving Very into cool. a helix or, you know, some other kind of modeling thing to, you know, further extend the tones of your amp. Helix, ew, gross. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, I always, I always like pretend on the internet that I don't like the helix, but it's actually pretty cool. I'm going to be honest, but yeah, uh, man, I think it's cool. It's, I have a helix. Yeah. I, I just think it's, uh, it's not for everyone, but, you know, I feel like everyone could find something they like about it just because I feel like that is the processor that Line 6 really stepped their game up on. Like, and you can tell just not only from the UI standpoint, but uh, just the overall tonality and features of it. It's a, it's a big yeah, boy I... modeler for sure. It is. It's definitely intense. I, I, I've said before, like if I was like doing like if I was an actual musician and I was like doing flight eights or something, I would probably have one. But since I'm a nerd in my nerd cave, I don't really have any use for it. It's just like, <laughs> no, I want all the pedals. Yeah, for all sure. Of the pedals. Yeah, I love pedals, too, man. I think it's just one of those things that, you know, I've seen a lot of guys that they may love pedals, but they're sick of having a cable die on them or sick of having, you know, the swap stuff out or what have you. Um, and they sell everything and get a helix and they never look back, but then there's some guys that they try the helix and it's just not the same for them. So they sell it and they go back to pedals. It's like a vicious cycle I see online, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really cool because they have a Helix native too, which is just their software version. So even if you don't want to get rid of your pedals, you can just, you know, pop it into your DAW and just use it like that. And it's literally the same thing. Just minus the, yeah. the processing power or whatever. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I, I tend to see this, the same cycle that you're talking about with Helix. Like some guys get it and they love it, but I've seen, a couple guys who were really big Helix propon- proponents. I'm looking at you, JV, Jamie Davis. I know you're listening to this right now. He's <laughs> <laughs> a member of the of the community. He's pretty active and a very vocal Helix proponent. And he nice. has this really epic uh, regular board that he's built <laughs> alongside of it. So <laughs> nice. That's where I was going. There's there seems to be 
people who like to play in both waters seems pretty common. Yeah, no, I think so too. And I think another thing that I kind of go back with the Mesa boogie um, thing is the community and like the way that they treat their customers is just really cool. Like I always see the line six groups on Facebook and everyone being super helpful and um, not saying that you don't see that with other companies or you don't see that with other social media groups for specific gear, but it just seems like it's a very unique community, uh, which is cool. Um, because like I said, I do have a Helix in our showroom and, uh, even though I don't use it as like my personal rig, like I had some questions on it and I just popped my head into that group and found the answer in like, you know, 10, 15 seconds or something. Um, right. So that's been cool too. And just the fact that, um, you know, the support is great because sometimes with modelers or uh, even companies in general, like they might not have the best customer support. And I think that's like paramount if you're, you know, offering a, a product or even a service and you want to make sure that your your customer experience is good. So they got that going for them. Yeah, that's a that's always a good thing. And I think that's that's what really separates companies in general is their uh their customer support has to be there. And I know like from, you know, talking to different companies that like sometimes it's people don't understand how difficult some customers can be. <laughs> it's like, it's like, like, you know, I've seen, I've seen some ridiculous things like ridiculous emails that some guys have forwarded me. I'm like, what is this guy even talking about and how can you fix it? Like, yeah, but it's uh it's what separates the, you know, the good the good companies from the bad companies i suppose sure yeah it's, it's all reactionary it's all how you deal with that said customer who may be having a bad day or just had a bad experience or may just be entitled you never know what the issue is but you know it's how you control the situation i feel like is this big uh, a big thing for you know a public facing company um for sure plus i mean there's tons of bands that I love like thrice that use helix and those dudes combine pedals, like you said, with their digital rigs and they still use Morgan, you know, combos and, uh, you know, high quality boutique tube combos as their main rig. They just push the helix through it. So I think it has its place in multifaceted, you know, gear chains. I just think, uh, they're definitely on the forefront as far as having a really cool interface with like the colored screen and everything. So got to give it a chance, man. Mm. <laughs> nah. 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 No, I've, 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 pl I've played one. Uh, I played with that and I've played the head rush a little bit and I, I liked it. Um, it was, it was really good. It just doesn't really, it doesn't cause because I'm not like, going anywhere it doesn't really fill any gaps for me if that yep. makes any sense yeah it doesn't like, it doesn't satisfy a need yeah i'm I, I but i'm i'm not nor i'm not the normal customer though for i'm not the normal customer for any company i'm just a, <laughs> a obsessed gear hoarder so it's like it's not i'm i can't use my my think so's as a baseline oftentimes because it's it's it I'm a little bit weird <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. 
So let's talk about your guitars a little bit. Uh, I hope I could talk. Let's talk about your guitars a little bit more. Um, sure. You take a little bit of a different approach to your lineup than a lot of, you know, quote unquote, boutique companies. You want to kind of explain your different uh, ranges and, you know, what what that means and what goes into each of them. Sure. Um, so I don't even know if I would call our guitars boutique. Um, I feel like boutique is a weird term anymore. And I think most of the time it's used incorrectly, not saying you're using it incorrectly, but just in the industry in general. Um, and I just think, yeah, that's, that's why I threw the quotes in there. Cause I, yeah. I, it's hard to define what that means. Um, exactly. And, and how to, label things so, yeah. yeah and i just i mean we're definitely a small business like that you know if that is a facet of the boutique definition then i guess we do fit that but um yeah so our business model is a little unique i suppose because we uh obviously offer our heritage series guitars which are guitars that i build myself uh here in the united states and sell when i finish the builds they're not customer commissioned or anything like that. It's more of a creative outlet for me. I build them when I can and I sell them when they're finished essentially. Um, and then the other two lines that we have uh, are built in South Korea. So I, I design all the guitars. They're still the same designs that I use to build in the United States, but they're built in South Korea uh, by a team of guys who've been building guitars for 15, 20 years at this point. Um, and those are offered at a lower price point because of labor and uh, the ability to, you know, just offer the guitars at a, a lower price point because we buy the wood in bulk and a bunch of different variables. Um, and that is our production series and our semi-custom series. Um, the semi-custom I think is the most unique out of everything that we offer because they are semi-custom guitars. You can go on our website and uh, right at the homepage, you can click, you know, guitar base, and it'll take you to an online uh, interactive guitar configurator where you select, you know, the body wood, neck wood, fingerboard wood, finish color, scale length, um, fret count, you know, really anything you could think of down to uh, even LED inlays, like multi-scale fan fret. Like we do a bunch of. Oh, wow. Yeah, we, wow. we do a bunch of different stuff, man. And a lot of stuff that people don't even ask for. Uh, we just do it because we can, <laughs> um, you know, within taste. Like, obviously, we don't do stuff just because we can and it looks ugly as, as sin. But, uh, you know, there are certain things that we offer that I feel like um, is just unique to our, you know, little niche part of the market. Uh, so anyway, you design those guitars on our website. And that is the guitar, you know, in a graphical representation, you get a, a picture of it in front of you on the computer screen or your phone screen. And uh, you place your order, you know, our build times right now are four to six months, but we're trying to get that back down to three to four. And uh, we build that in South Korea. And then those guitars are then shipped to our headquarters here in Pennsylvania. And then we go through a 32 point, you know, quality control checklist every guitar gets passed over my bench before it gets shipped out to you, the customer. And, you know, we can do any final changes uh, at that point, such as like, you know, tuning string gauge swap. Like if someone at last minute wants a different tuning, different strings, um, 
and just we go over everything. We level the frets if there's any high frets. Um, you know, make sure the nut height and the nut slots are where it needs to be. Go through intonation, the full setup. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's a really unique thing, I feel, because I don't think anyone in the industry is really doing, you know, essentially custom guitars uh, built overseas at a lower price point. And, um, you know, our production guitars are are something that's uh, great for us too, but they're, I guess, secondary right now until NAMM um, coming up in January, 2019, we're going to be releasing something new uh, surrounding that. I can't talk too much about it right now. Uh, premature, premature, but um, yeah, it's definitely something that I think is going to, you know, hit a different part of the market that I think people are going to be excited about, but we'll see. but yeah, that's that's kind of the gist of what we do, um, and kind of the whole idea behind it is, in my opinion, country of manufacture isn't as relevant as it was 10, 15 years ago, as long as you partner yourself with a shop that shares your same quality standards, your same uh, you know labor standards, so making sure there's fair labor, making sure the quality is what it should be and that it's consistent. Um, so yeah, as long as those two points are met and, you know, you guys are on the same page and you care about the end product, then I think, you know, it's a good thing. Um, so whether the guitar is built in Korea, China, Japan, Indonesia, America, Canada, like, I don't think it really matters. I just think it's, you know, the quality standards and the labor practices and kind of the whole point of, uh, doing it is just to get the guitars in people's hands. So um, if I can do that and, and offer, you know, a customizable option for people, like, I just feel like that's a cool thing. It is a very cool thing. And I, I agree with you. I don't think that it matters so much anymore. I think it may be used to at one point, but I mean, the iPhone's been around for a while and mine gets abused on the daily and it holds up pretty good made in China, you know, um, there's, there's a lot of examples you can point to that, that show that country manufacturer doesn't necessarily mean much anymore. It's just, is it a quality product or not? Yeah. And I think also, you know, the argument that people make is, well, you're not supporting American labor. It's like, well, I'm an American company. I have an American family. I have American employees. So it's, you know, it's one of those things that I just think, if my guys in Korea are getting paid what they should be getting paid and they're not, they're not working 70, 80 hours a week, they're working a normal work week. And, you know, all of that is a standard practice for us. And as long as we stick to that, like, I just feel like there's nothing wrong with it. And yeah, I think there is a mental shift nowadays that people don't care as much, but there's still that, you know, narrow mindedness where people say, Oh, I'm only going to buy USA or I'm only going to buy, you know, from this country or what have you. And that's fine. Um, I mean, we still do our heritage guitars that I build. So if they want to hold out for a guitar that costs more than $2,000, that's fine with me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's just a different thing. But um, yeah, man, it's, I think it's unique to us. And um, even, you know, we just have people that just hop on the website just to, <laughs> build mock-ups and build their own guitars that they can't afford right now, but eventually they'll save up and 
we'll get emails from people that are stoked that they can order a $1,300 custom guitar for themselves. And, you know, it's the quality level that they're expecting. And, you know, most of the time we try to exceed those expectations and it's been great. I mean, yeah, why wouldn't you be excited about that? That's a, that's a pretty cool thing. I know, I know that like, I mean, I've, I've had a, a couple of guitars built. Um, and you know, as a teenager, that would have been completely impossible for me to do, but like something like what you are doing would have been something that I could have saved my pennies for and reasonably obtained in a relatively short amount of time. And, uh, and to have all those options available to more people is I think really, really, really cool. Thanks, so that's, man. that's awesome. Yeah, I appreciate um, it. One question is like, you know, how, how difficult was it to find somebody that you liked working with overseas? Was it a fairly straightforward process or did you have to do some digging or, or how did that go? Yeah, it was, uh, it was actually a pretty long process. Um, because when I originally started my company, I, I didn't have that in mind. I was just, like I told you before, when I first, you know, completed that guitar for Bo from Seos and that was when I was living in California and I didn't have any of my production stuff set up overseas. It was just me. Um, and that's just kind of what I was doing part time. So it didn't actually start happening until I went to the NAM show and I ended up meeting uh, this one of the first factories I worked with, which I'm no longer working with. Um, but I, I ended up meeting them at NAM at a hardware booth that builds, you know, Tone Pros and Godo and a few other um, aftermarket tuners and bridges and stuff. I ended up meeting gotcha. one of the, the factory owners there who was at the booth, not working the booth, but at the booth talking to the guy. So we just ended up talking. And that was a company that builds like Reverend guitars and a few other guitars in Korea. And I ended up using them for a little bit. Um, the quality was okay, but it was just not where I wanted to be. I wanted the quality to be a little higher um, just based on the amount of guitars that they required, you know, for a minimum order and kind of the scalability of where I was at as a company. It was just me. So I wasn't really set up to be setting, you know, X amount of guitars up while trying to maintain another job. Um, so I ended up moving to another shop, which is actually where I'm at now um, in South Korea, that is a shop, not a factory. So it's actually under eight people. Um, and three of those people. Oh, wow. Yeah. So three of those people are Andy, John and Chris, and they work on all of the semi customs. Um, so it's really only three people working on those guitars. And that's kind of why they take, you know, four to six months, three to four months, depending on the time of year. Um, and then the rest of the guys will work on the production stuff. So it's a shop atmosphere. Um, it's not like a huge assembly line or a huge, you know, carousel of guitars floating in the air, waiting to be dried till they can ship out in hundreds per day like that. It's not that atmosphere. Um, and I think that has kind of worked in our favor over the last year or two because we can control the quality better. Um, 
and we have the ability to kind of push the envelope as to what we can offer because I'm able to drop ship my own wood. I'm able to kind of facilitate, you know, the type of hardware we use, the pickups. Like we use all of our own pickups. If we if we're not using like Fishman or EMG or you know some other aftermarket company, um, you know we're able to source our own fret wire, stainless steel. So there's a lot of like stuff that I feel like people don't think about when they're working with an overseas factory or shop. Some of them won't allow you to source your own wood or won't allow you to source different components or parts. You kind of just have to use what they have on hand just because of costs. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of where, you know, we lucked out with partnering with the shop is they're just on the same page as us. And they just, they get what we're trying to do, like our business plan and they agree with it. They like it and they want to kind of help us grow. So it's, it's been a really cool thing. I feel very lucky to, to work with them. That's really, really cool. That is that I think you're in a very unique position. I don't want to say you're the only one doing it because I don't know, but you're the only one that I know of that is doing it that way and working with a shop like that. That's pretty that's pretty interesting. I I like I like it. And I, I can attest to the guitars I played at Fear the Rift were fantastic. Thanks, man. So they were as good as anything else that, that was at that show, honestly. Well, I appreciate and that. And, in a lot of cases i'm being honest (laughs) thanks man yeah they were they were those guys are really nice those guys are great over there and um i mean anyone can go to our website right now and go to the about section and scroll down to our team area and they'll see not just you know our usa employees but they'll see you know my three main guys in korea right there on the website so it's they're part of the team just as much as my guys are in pennsylvania you know, we, we try to be as, you know, transparent as possible about where our guitars are built. It's right on our website. We're not trying to, you know, pass them off as anything they're not. Um, and I just feel like they do such a good job and they're such a huge part of the business that, you know, it's just been a really cool and unique relationship. And yeah, like I said, it's just, I feel lucky to have partnered with them because I feel like it is a unique thing. Because uh, when you think of, you know, a guitar built in Korea or elsewhere, you'll think, okay, it's a big factory, it's a mass-produced guitar, etc. But it's really not the case for us. It's very cool. Thanks, it's very man. cool. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess going way back in the conversation, that was an, another, um, you mentioned another one of your artists that I kind of wanted to bring up, and that was uh, Fluff. Yeah, that's kind of a different um, we, I, we've talked about it before. I, I do a podcast with Brian Wampler, the Chasing Tone podcast, and we we've talked about it a lot on there, where it's like some of these YouTube guys and him being one of them. They're like the new almost like the new rock stars. <laughs> they're like the sort of, you know, like you I can know, see that they, yeah, they kind that. of are. Yeah, it's 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 weird to say, but like that's what especially like guys younger than us or you know people younger than us are watching like youtube like relentlessly brian's got teenagers and he's always talking about they're like they're all watching youtube all the time and they're they're youtubers they watch our they're like legitimate 
legitimately famous people to them, even though the YouTubers probably don't necessarily feel that way. Um, I, I agree wholeheartedly, but, man. Anytime I'm walking with Fluff at Nam, whether we're like going to get something to eat or he's coming back to our booth uh, for a playthrough or something, he gets stopped like 12 times by people and more so than not like you said it's like preteen or like teenager guys that are just like mm-hmm. fluff can i get a picture <laughs> with you your beard's awesome like and they're just they're fanboying out and it's so cool because fluff is like if you've ever met him he's just so down to earth and cool and he's just like oh sure man and i'm like dude i'll just meet you at the booth <laughs> It's just like gets stopped <laughs> so much because he's such a recognizable guy. And uh, yeah, no, I, I completely agree, man. And I think it's really cool because, you know, some of these guys have over 100, 200,000 subscribers. And when they post a video, all of those people are notified. And it's just like, you know, yeah, you can play shows, you can tour all over the world, but you really have the ability to have like, you know, even if 10% of his 200,000 subscribers watch that video when it's posted, like that's 20,000 people watching, you know, your video just because they subscribe to your channel. Like that's, that's a really cool thing. Yeah. It's, it's the way the internet has, has sort of leveled the playing field in that way is, is really weird. Like, you know, this is a very small podcast, right? But, um, in comparison to, you know, Joe Rogan or something like that, it's, you know, it's a drop in the bucket. But at the same time, if there were, everyone was if everyone who listened to this podcast was standing in a in a club and I like had to go up there and talk, I'd be like, uh, <laughs> this is awkward. Right. Like, it would be it would be weird to be trying to talk to like 4000 people. It'd be it's, you know. It's weird to think about that that's what's actually happening, but that's what is happening. Yep. So it's cool, man. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Joe and I are talking to you right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, no, I agree. It has leveled the playing field, I feel, especially from an exposure standpoint and getting your name out there. I, I'm always seeing like new YouTubers pop up, like gear demos and, and what have you. And it's just, it's really cool. It's, you know, I feel like, some people just make a living just doing that. And that's, that's pretty cool. It is. It's a lot of work though. Like some people don't understand how, how a difficult it is to cut through like all the noise and then B like how much work it is to produce YouTube videos that are good and fun to watch and informative or whatever, just videos that drag people in. It's, it's oh, I'm so sure. much work. I'm sure. Yeah. I talked to Andy from Reverb about it a bit, and it's just like, man, like, I mean, he's gotten good at it now because he's done it so long, but it it takes a bit of time to 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 be able to produce all that stuff. I, yeah, I feel like that's a craft in itself, like having the videography skills and you know the creative uh, flow of like, okay, I did that video X amount of weeks ago, I can't you know, I got to come up with a new idea or what, what have you. That's just, yeah, I feel like you kind of need to, you know, <laughs> you kind of need to have some experience in, you know, creative thinking and, and videography to even be, you know, long-term successful in something like that. Totally. Totally. 
Well, we are getting down to kind of the last bit, and I haven't asked like the real, the really important question, the heavy hitting question. Okay. And so I, this one's kind of intense, and a lot of people don't know how to answer it, but it's it's probably the most crucial thing. Okay. So, um, what kind of pizza do you like? <laughs> oh man. Is there a, a, a wrong answer to that? I feel like it's probably Hawaiian for most people, but um, man, that is that is a really hard hitting question for me since I live on the East Coast and you know exactly. I, I feel like I feel like I should say like New York style thin crust pizza, but I am a sucker for stuffed crust like pepperoni pizza. Um, I don't know why that is. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go with that. You're going to go with the stuffed crust. I'm going to go with the stuffed crust. Um, but I do dig like a classic, like Italian pizzeria, just plain cheese style pizza. Neapolitan is mm-hmm. good too, I guess. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's a tie between those two. What's your favorite pizza? My favorite pizza, um, it's it's uh it's bounced around a little bit. Um, I used to be like a very, very hardcore like Italian style like wood fired pizza lover, which I still do yeah. love. Don't get me wrong, Sam. Um, but and and I've said this on the podcast before, so sorry for the re- repetition, everybody. But I went to New York a couple times in these last few years. And when I the first time I went to New York, I was very skeptical. I was like, <laughs> I'd heard it from reliable sources that it was really good. And I'd heard, you know, all this stuff about New York pizza. I was like, I was looking at a lot of it and go, yeah, that looks good. But it looks like pizza, you know, like mm. I don't like I didn't get it. And we went to a few of the, you know, the top recommended places while we were there. And now I get it like, ah, I <laughs> I understand <laughs> um i've been told one of my i've been told that uh new haven connecticut has really good pizza but i have i've yet to been I've yet to go I'm, there. I'm with you there yeah. it looks good it does it looks really good um but yeah my current favorite pizzas are are probably um yeah there's some spots in new york um I really liked uh, Grimaldi's in Brooklyn. That was probably the best pizza I've ever ate. I really liked Grimaldi's. Um, But here locally, I just found one that scratches my New York itch, which is nice, which is uh, Scotty's Pizza Parlor here in Portland. If you're in Portland and you're looking for a slice like that, that is the spot to go. It is good. That's so weird. We have a a Scotty's Pizza right near us in Pennsylvania. It's, It's totally different than probably what you guys have, but. probably so yeah (laughs) you have a do you have a local pizzeria that you'd like to shout out right now yeah why not uh i would say menino's in pottstown pennsylvania is probably the best local like italian style pizza whether it's neapolitan or just regular brick oven style uh so yeah menino's i think it's m-a-n-n-i-n-o Menino's pizza. Yep. Very good. Yeah. I feel like there's, you know, people want to get like, get on their soapbox about <laughs> regions and, and pizzas. You know what I mean? Like, this is the best area for pizza. New York's the best. No Chicago's yeah. the best. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but really, at the end of the day, 
I've never been to a place in the country, like in a major, you know, in a, at least in the whatever the big city in that state is that doesn't have at least one good pizza place. Yeah, I feel you know? I feel like that's the case. And I also feel if you're talking about like Chicago deep dish to me, that that isn't what I think of when I think of pizza. I don't know if you've ever had like Luminati's in Chicago or anything, but that's like straight up pie with you know <laughs> with with a ton of sauce on it like that doesn't taste like pizza to me it's good for what it is but when i think of pizza i think of kind of what i feel like you think of is that like you know brick oven or or wood fired you know thin style you know new york pizza but. yeah yeah the chicago i have had chicago style pizza here mm-hmm. there's a a food truck that actually does some pretty good ones but nice. agreed it's not it's if I'm craving that, I'm not really craving pizza. I'm craving a pizza like dish right to me. It's it's good. It's just not it's not what I think of. Yeah, it's just like thick dough with sauce on it, essentially. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we're, we're just about at that hour mark. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and taking the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It was great talking to you. Totally. Did, where can people uh, find you on the internet? Where do you want them to go? What do you want them to do? Uh, well, you, they can find us on our website at uh, Um Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's just Balagare Guitars. And that's about it. And they can come to I our... I just uh, realized I kind of pronounced that wrong in the beginning. Oh, it's fine, man. Everyone <laughs> does. I don't expect you to get it right the first time. Um, usually I ask, but I thought I, I really yeah. thought I had it this time. <laughs> Blast. We're also going to be at, uh, the winter Nam show in hall D, uh, booth three, four, four, six, right next to walrus audio. So if you're going to be at the show. Stop by, say hi. All right. I'll see you there. Yeah, man. See you there. It will be good times. Yeah, hopefully man. we'll see all of you there. Listener people. Yeah. We can all get pizza. All of you. Come on down. <laughs> we, we do usually do the last couple of years we've had a tone mob pizza party. Um, I felt really bad about it last time because the restaurant we went to the first time we kind of, I called and I was like, yeah, we're going to have probably like 20 or 30 people again. And they're like, that's fine. And I bet you we had this the second year, we probably had 50 people show up. <laughs> oh man. And so we like completely took over the whole place and I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Like you poor wait staff. <laughs> like this is not what I meant to happen. So this year, if uh, I might try to do it a little differently, if I can do it, um, I'll probably try to have some pizza delivered to the Nam show. Nice. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure how that works. I need to like figure it out. It it's it, it yeah. Last year was just I felt so bad for the restaurant. We just destroyed them. So um, I'm trying to figure it out this year. Cool man. Well, let me know. All right, we'll do. All right, all right everybody. For Joe, oh, go ahead. No, Sorry. I was just saying. All right, Blake, thanks. <laughs> all right. <Sorry. laughs> for Joe, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, that's the end of the episode, everybody. Thank you very much for tuning in, as always, and make sure you go check out Joe's guitars. They're Really, really cool. I think uh, I think you guys will like them. The the shapes and 
build quality is definitely there. I think you should give them a whirl. Just some final house cleaning things. The Adventure Audio Demogorgon pre-order is currently live and rocking and rolling, but it is over on Friday. So we've only got a few more days to get in to get that if you are interested. You know, shoot me a message or just go right over to tonewob.com slash store and you can see where to buy that. And we are not going to be making these anymore. This is a, kind of the the last hurrah. We, we didn't intend to make any more in the first place, but we got so much feedback off of the original V2 that we had to do a V3. And it's better than ever. You can check out. We got three different demos over there, including one by yours truly. I actually did a real legit demo, which some of you have already seen, but if you haven't, it's it's over there in the store embedded on... Uh, blah, blah, blah. I can't talk. It's like I do this for a living. I can't talk all of a sudden. It's over embedded on in YouTube on the store. So just slide over there and you can check out all three demos, all three completely different approaches to the same pedal, and I think you'll see there's a wide variety of range in there. So, yeah. Other than that, if you have any comments or questions, shoot them over to info at tonemob.com or you know where to find me on the interwebs. Check out at the tonemob on Twitter, Instagram especially, because, I mean, who doesn't love Instagram? And make sure and check out the Facebook group if you haven't had time. Let's see, there's more, there's more, there has to be. Oh yes, there's a couple things. First of all, if you need more of this conversation, it's available on Patreon. Joe and I sat around and talked for a little while longer. And you can get the extended portion of the interview over at patreon.com slash tonemob. So if you go there, you'll see a couple different levels. And the $5 level is where you start getting extra tone mob content every week, delivered right to your ears or possibly eyes in the future. We'll see how it works out. But that's where you go, patreon.com slash tonemob. And it's just $5 a month, and you get extra weekly episodes at the minimum. There could be even more. Who knows? The patrons do. That's who knows. So that's where you get more of that. Furthermore, yes, officially have booked NAM, Winter NAM 2019. I hope I see some of you guys there. This is promising to be a very big NAM for um, for me. They got lots of things cooking, and hopefully they can all click into place to where this this NAM should be should be very different than previous NAMs. Let me just put it that way. And as soon as I know more. I will tell you guys, but right now, just uh, hopefully I'll see you there, and if not, I, I hope you're there in spirit. So, until next time, which will be next week, I hope you all have a good one, and take care of each other. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to tonemob.com stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, 
and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.